0: Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? According to the prophet Micah, There are three dimensions to our faith. Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with our God. (laughs) In baseball, a batting average comprised on where you get a hit two out of three times will, will get you in the Hall of Fame. For us, two out of three just won't cut it. Two out of three is called sin. Two out of three is called missing the mark. So pull out your scorecard. Let's see how we're doing, right? Micah begins with doing justice. And doing justice means, it means looking out at the world and, you know what, let's just, Let's just pause right there for a moment. Let's come back to doing justice. Instead, let's look at loving kindness. Loving kindness is a whole lot easier to put words to. Loving kindness means practicing mercy. It gets a bad rap, but loving kindness, in essence, means practicing charity. It means addressing a particular need. Walking humbly with God means being close enough to God that we can be changed by God. That we can be transformed. It's something that we're quite good at here at First Baptist Church. It's encouraging you to read scripture, to pray, to be a part of the rhythms and discipline of being in lockstep with a God who loves you and wants to be close to you. Now, let's circle back around to the commandment that we oftentimes fumble over, doing justice. Doing justice means making things right for those who have been victimized by a cruel world. It means changing the systems, the environment that perpetuates oppression, poverty, and abuse. (laughs) And if that's what doing justice is or means, I gotta tell you, it sounds like doing justice is above our pay grade. Doing justice is, is extracurricular, right? It's, it's something that if you get to it, great. It's going to look really good on your college application or resume, but it's not critical, right? Can't we hope for that? And yet, interestingly and annoyingly, the prophet Micah lists doing justice first, We're not very good at doing justice, are we? Let me say it this way. Perhaps I'm not very good at doing justice. For the last decade, our church's vision and grounding principle, vision, purpose statement is Micah success. What does the Lord require of us? Doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. But I have to tell you, doing justice seems to be in a category all its own. I find that we're far more interested in charity than addressing the broken systems that hurt people. I mean, let's be honest. Filling backpacks, baking casseroles, giving money to disaster relief, those are far easier to do. And it's a good thing that we're faithful in doing them because that is, in fact, one of the requirements that God has for us. It's called loving kindness. We have a loving kindness room. It's frequently filled by your faithfulness, generosity, and kindness to others. This is not a bad thing. It's just that we tend to stop there. Again, I'll make it personal. I tend to stop there. It was a cold winter's night in 1935. The mayor of New York City, Fiorello LaGuardia, decided to go to night court in one of the poorer parts of the city. Upon arriving, he found it full, and he excused the judge at the bench at the night court one of the first individuals that was brought before him was a tattered old woman she had been caught stealing a loaf of bread in her defense she said that her daughter was sick and her husband had deserted she and her family and that her grandchildren were starving the shopkeeper was unmoved and said, Your Honor, it's a bad neighborhood, and you got to set a precedent here. you gotta, you got to punish this woman to teach other people a lesson. The mayor, the mayor shook his head and said, Ma'am, I have to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. $10 or 10 days in jail. Even while he was rendering his verdict, he was pulling out his billfold and pulled out $10, took off his hat and put it there in the hat and said, here's the $10 fine which I now remit and furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in the courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. The following day, a local newspaper reported, $47.50 was turned over to a bewildered old grandmother who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren. Making forced donations were 70 petty criminals, a few New York policemen, and one red-faced storekeeper. Paying the woman's fine was an act of mercy, of loving kindness. <laughs> Making the courtroom pony up to help her, well, that was an act of justice. The author of Psalm 82 drafts a prayer that Clint McCann calls the most important passage in all of Scripture. Scripture the most important passage in all of Scripture. Really? Really. The prayer that's in Psalm 82 is a direct appeal to God. And truth be known, it comes across as bossy and insistent. But prior to the demanding prayer, the psalmist sets it up by describing a courtroom scene like the night court scene in New York City a century ago. But in the psalmist's story, God is the judge, and he's the one holding court. All rise for the one true honorable God. Wait, who's on trial here? According to the psalmist in his story, God has taken his place in the divine council In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Well, you got to give him credit. The the psalmist has quite the imagination. God's holding court in heaven, and it's the gods who are on trial. Now, before you go off the deep end, ancient near-eastern Israel did not endorse polytheism. It's figurative language that would have been familiar to his or her contemporaries at the time. The ones who are on trial are the gods. That is, the leaders of the nations of the world that God's empowered to lead and judge effectively. And they're on trial because these leaders, these judges, have failed in their duties before God. Now, centuries later in the New Testament, in his writings, Paul doesn't call these individuals gods. He calls them rulers and authorities. Well, in this story, God points his finger and roars his judgment at these leaders, these gods. How long, he asks them, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? That's a great phrase. Show partiality to the wicked. Put it another way, showing partiality to the wicked is unjust and it hurts those without privilege. The wicked are those who take advantage of others for their own benefit and God is not having any of it. God has a message for them. Give justice to the weak and the orphan. Maintain the rights of the lowly and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. According to God, the ones who are deserving of justice, of restorative action, they are the weak, the orphan, the poor, and those who are vulnerable and are in need. So by this definition, doing justice, the thing that I fumble over, doing justice means rescuing the lowly and delivering them from their oppressors. Justice is an externally focused initiative. That is, it's something that we do out there. Years ago, we read a book called The Externally Focused Church and talked about how, for many of us, churches were focused on being internally minded. Our needs, our wants, our initiatives. Well, that's all well and fine, but here, doing justice is externally focused. It's what happens to others, Now, the action words that are used here are interesting and are deserving of our attention. The action words are rescue, deliver, make right, defend. Does that sound familiar? Because it should. It's what God did when he rescued, delivered, made right his own people who were enslaved in Egypt God practices justice. It's what God does. God's people wouldn't be anyone if they hadn't been delivered from their bonds in Egypt and given a new land and a new reality and a new way forward. So here God is in his divine court. He's called the middle managers, that is, the leaders of these nations. Those who've been appointed thinking of themselves as princes. He's gathered them up there and he's holding court. He's judging these leaders who he appointed by his own track record. It's a pretty tall order because God rescues. Doing justice means rescuing and delivering those who are weak and needy. Ministry to the poor, the weak, the widow, the orphan. It's not just something that we can feel good about. It's our calling. It's our number one priority. And it happens out there. And these leaders, these gods that God appointed, they're not doing it. Instead, they're being partial to the rich and powerful. That is, the wicked. Because they have arranged it so that they can be comfortable at the expense of others. Now, I'm going to stop right there for a moment. Invite us to take a breath. Because God's looking a lot like a populist here. Is God some kind of a divine Robin Hood intent on Stealing from the rich to give to the poor? To stick with that metaphor, God is holding court in Sherwood Forest, and the sheriff of Nottingham is on trial for dereliction of duty. Because let's face it, all the thievery of the rich won't change a thing if the sheriff is wicked. God says, You were divinely appointed and you became wicked. I am more than disappointed in you. You've incurred my wrath, and now I have to step in to make things right for the ones you've kicked around and mistreated. You think you're godlike? Trust me. You're like mortals, for you are mortal. I am your God, and you are under my judgment. And with that, the mock trial ends the picture that the psalmist has created for his listener, it's over. Court is adjourned. But those of us, those of us who found themselves in God's courtroom, we've learned a few things. Namely, that doing justice is what God does. It's God's very nature. God rescues. God delivers. God is looking out for those whom the world beats up. Second, God raises up leaders, rulers, judges, people of influence to do what God does. Which, of course, is to defend the poor. To maintain the rights of the orphan and the widow, to rescue the oppressed and deliver the needy from their oppressors. That's what leaders are supposed to do. Which is striking because I'm not so certain that's my own understanding of what leadership is supposed to be about. But here, those who God has appointed to lead are supposed to be like Him, to practice and do justice. We learn also that doing justice requires influence. Again, I'm reminded of sports. Unjust plays or calls on the field can be overturned, but not by the players or the coaches or the fans. Trust me, I wish we could know the ones who are empowered to bring justice are those who have been empowered to do so. The Psalmist mock trial is over, but the prayer, you've probably noticed, still has not been offered until now. The prayer itself is where we hit pay dirt. It's remarkably short and simple. The psalmist ends the trial where God judges his rulers for not caring for the least of these, and then he prays, listen for it, Rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you, In other words, we hear an exasperated, desperate, frustrated, even angry psalmist praying and pleading with God. Rise up, God. Take the place of the unjust leaders. The world belongs to you. So take control and make it right. One commentator Thinks that this call for God to rise up is actually quite the indictment. Think about it. God's there at the bench, seated, and he's given all of his attention on the leaders. But the psalmist here is telling God to get up and to bring the same amount of judgment and critique that he's bringing to the leaders to everyone else in the world because in truth, all the nations belong to God. So God, get up. Bring about the judgment that your own managers have not been able to bring. And by the way, you're the one that set these people up. So instead of just holding them accountable, why don't you come down here right now and make it right? Because the people that you set up to do so are failing. God above, come clean up the mess that your leaders have made. That's the prayer. One paraphrase is pretty rich. God, since you've shown your power in heaven by judging the unjust spiritual leaders and casting them down, how about doing the same here on earth? Since all the nations belong to you, how about you show up and judge the earth as you have the heaven? Hmm. It's true. Doing justice requires influence. And those with power must use that power to help save and deliver the powerless. So this is where I get preachy. (laughs) Y'all, We are a people of influence. We are the people God has called to exercise justice. We are the people that God expects to make things right for the weak and the needy and the powerless and the parentless. To do justice, y'all, we've gotta do something different. That is, We've got to do something. We've got to be for others out there. All rise for the honorable one true God. For when God stands up to do justice, we all do. Let us pray. God, this ancient prayer rings true today for we live in a world of injustices. Forgive us, God, for casually overlooking this requirement to be like you and to practice justice for those who are hurting, which, of course, demands that we open our eyes to those who are in pain and to listen for their prayers and pleading for the way in which they are hurting. God, for too long we've not heard them. Help us to hear them now and open our hearts and our minds to do something differently That is to do something for others who find themselves in systems that continually hurt others. For it's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen.